Okay, hello again. Uh, for those of you regulars here, you'll know that we're in this series that we've entitled The Center Playlist, uh, where what we're discovering is that we're believing that this is a playlist like no other, a playlist that we're wanting to characterize our lives, to be the, the soundtrack, soundtrack of our lives, because we believe that it will not only do us good, but we will then in turn do others good as we live according to what these tracks are. And what we've said is that these three amazing tracks that we're exploring week on week at the moment, the first one is that we're all about loving God. The second one is that we're all about loving the world. And then the last one is we're all about loving home, which is uh, what we've talked about in terms of who we are together as church. And what we've said is as we live with this centered playlist, we want to live understanding these three controls that help us live with this centered playlist. And they're three buttons that we've come to know and love this year, which is to pause. And within that, to ask ourselves in that pause moment, how are we doing individually on a scale of one to five, one being poor, five being amazing, in loving God, in loving the world, in loving home? And then having pause, we then want to center and say, well, then what action do we need to take? In the reality of where we're at, what do we need to do and what do we need to not do? And then from that point of centering, we then say we want to continue. We then want to ask ourselves, what accountability, what encouragement do we need from others to ensure that we deal with the stuff that we said we want to? Recognizing that we're not just lone soldiers. We're actually a community. We're actually there to live to encourage one another in our pursuit of what it looks like to love God, to love the world around us, and to love home. And so in that, what we've done is produced, and you have them on your chairs, a little card that you can carry around all the time with you to be thinking, how am I doing, living with a centered playlist? What are the three controls again? I've got those. We can stick those in our pockets, our wallets, our phone covers, whatever it is. They're there. There's also then a little A5 sheet that just allows you to have the headlines of what we're talking about in respect to this. And what we're believing is that we'll be able to use this tool to help us not only through this series, but throughout life. This is going to be a defining moment for us as a church, believing this is going to cause us to change as we seek to root down and ask these simple but highly effective questions about who we are and what we want to be. And so please don't leave them on your seats. They're there for the taking. Um, with it, though, we started last uh, two weeks ago uh, by looking at track one. 
Track one is all about loving God, and that was part one. And in that, what we discovered is that we love God because God first loved us, and that God in his very being is love. That isn't that he's got an attribute of love, but that actually his very character is love. That God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, has eternally dwelt together in love. And I'm not going to repeat the whole preach, but what we discovered along the way is that out of the overflow of that love between Father, Son, and Spirit, they hatched a plan that all of humanity could be caught up within that love. And the overflow of that love was revealed through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That was to deal with what caused us to love ourselves rather than to love God and to live with the destructive habits that then come as a result of that. And that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we're then caught up, not as onlookers in this God who's loved, but within and partakers of this God who's loved, that we've now become part of God the Father, Son, and Spirit, and the love they share within themselves, they're now sharing with us. And then we get to live in the reality of that. And if you like, today is where we start to look at what is that reality like then. What does it sound like? Because when we begin to hear how good it is, it, I promise you, transforms everything about who we are. And in turn, in transforming everything about who we are, I promise you, it will then cause us to change everyone around us. Now, those are quite bold claims. And so we better dip in and see, does it match up? And what we start off with is, in this one, I want to look at um, a passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul outlines who he is, outlines what determines who he is, outlines how he lives seeking to reveal Jesus on earth. And this is at a point at which he's been talking about the message of Jesus, that Jesus rose, that Jesus came and lived, died and rose again. And that he then appeared to different individuals in order that they would be carriers of this message to the whole world to keep igniting people with this amazing message that through Jesus' resurrection, there's this amazing life promised that's governed by God's love. And Paul kind of says, and I'm one of the people who's a messenger of this amazing message. And this is how he describes himself. He then goes on and says, well, last of all, Jesus, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That's 1 Corinthians 15.8. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. And it's where 1 Corinthians 15.10 we're going to really zoom in on today. We need the other bit to make sense of some of it. But verse 15.10 is, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. This verse, probably above all other verses, as I've rooted into this, has fundamentally changed who I am as an individual. Has caused me to live radically different to who I was. And I'm hoping it will start to do the same for us. And how we're going to examine this verse is under three words. Three words that I was actually taught to drive with. To be honest, I don't really remember a lot of my highway code. Um, in actual fact, when I took my test, it's a long time ago, you didn't have to do a written test. You literally just did this test in the car where they told you to read number plates and showed you a few signs. At the end of it, my driving 
test examiner guy. He turns to me and says, well, Mr. Hurst, I'm pleased to say that you've passed your test. However, I just want to go back over these two signs just to save your life when you drive. And I just thought, man, if I was that bad, <laughs> what have you done? But I do remember three things that are all about how you drive a car, and that is mirror, signal, maneuver. And if you keep those three things in your head, basically, it's all right. And in this passage, I want to use those three words, mirror, signal, maneuver, to unpack what this track of loving God is and how it transforms and changes our lives. And so I want to start off with mirror. See, for those of you who are observant, you probably guessed that there was a big mirror at the front. And for some of us, I know there's some you can't see, so there is a big mirror at the very front of the room today. Now, when we see a mirror, who do we see? Now, at this point, some of you smart Alex can say, oh, I can see so-and-so in the row behind me. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I mean, when we stand in front of a mirror, who is it we see? For some of us, we think, man, I, I try and not look that often. I try and just skim past, or it's only after certain points of the day I want to look. For others of us, we think, well, man, you know, you see the guns, I'm just there. <laughs> now, when we look in the mirror, who do we see? What is it that defines us? What is it that causes us to know that deep sense of security, that deep sense of value. If you like, Paul, in these verses, holds up a mirror and says, you know what, there's things that could have defined me. I could have been defined by my past. And we find in verse 8 that Paul says, well, what was his past? He was someone who persecuted the church wasn't persecuted by going around the outside of where church communities were gathering saying, you're not very nice. No, no, he was well in. He was observing people's executions, people's torture. He was set with all of his zeal, all of his being to crushing this community that were founded around Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He says, that, that was my past. And Jesus broke in and changed my life forever. I could have lived according, defined by my past, with people saying, aren't you, aren't you the one who did that? Who are you? That could have been defined by my past. I also could be defined by my present. There's this weird reference where in verse 7 he says, he's one who is abnormally born. If you read around, different commentators talk about this. And when it refers to Paul referring to himself as abnormally born, this wasn't something he was speaking of himself. It was actually what was spoken of him at that point in time. And it was basically saying that who Paul was was an abomination. He was abnormal. And it was what was spoken of about Paul by other religious leaders. It wasn't spoken of within the community of the church. It was outsiders who just said, oh, that Paul, well, he's He's abnormal. Everything about him is abnormal. Paul says, I could be defined by my present circumstances, by what people speak about me. But he rather points to something else, which we'll get to in a moment. But you see, I wonder whether 
like Paul, when we look at the mirror, we can think of our past experiences, who we've been, what we've done, what others have done to us, and allow that to be what we see in the mirror. I wonder whether, like Paul, we can live with the present circumstances that we're under at this point in time. I don't know what that is for you. I know what the ones are for me, and we can allow those circumstances this point in time to define who we are. Or maybe, Paul doesn't mention this, but I wonder whether this is there as well, that we can allow our future achievements to define us, to continuously live and say, well, when I've got that, when I'm qualified, when I've proved myself there, when finally people see that I've got this, then I'll be defined. Then I have security. Then I have value. And Paul kind of points it out before he gets there and says, you know what, how are we defined? And I want to make it a bit more kind of smacked in our faces. Do we look in the mirror and see that? That when we look there in the morning, when we look in the afternoon, we look at the mirror and we see past experience as defining us. We see present circumstances. We see future achievements as being the things that make us who we are. Paul was one who easily could have lived like that. And he persecuted the church. He had people who continually followed him around saying, man, you're, you're abnormal. You're an abomination. I don't know if people do that to you. I don't know if people at the moment are following you around just saying, you're an abomination, you are. Oh, have you heard about Adrian? He's an abomination. If you're hearing that all the time, it starts to affect you. And yet Paul, though he had past experience, though he had present circumstances, he didn't allow it to define him. See, when Paul looked in the mirror, he's defined in a fundamentally different way. A way that he invites all of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus to understand that we've been defined by. And it's this, he says, rather defined by the grace of God. Verse 10, I am what I am. God's grace defines him. Isn't his past? Isn't his present? Isn't his future achievement? It's God's grace. Now, what's God's grace? God's grace is this amazing word that we can become too familiar with. We can use and say, it's kind of a religious word. I don't know, have you said grace after a meal or before a meal? Or maybe I've got a daughter and her middle name is Grace. Oh, it's a name. No, 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 Grace, why have you called that? Because it expresses something so amazing. Probably the best news you could ever hear. The grace is the way of encompassing and packaging God's unconditional love and favor towards you, towards me, revealed through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in order that we would be given a life like no other. That's what grace is. You see, Paul says, let's remove being defined by these things on the mirror, past, present, and future. And now I want to give you a new headline of what defines you whenever you look in the mirror. It's God's grace. That when you look in the mirror, who you see is one who's unconditionally loved. Who's unconditionally been shown favor by the one who created everything. Who has eternally always been loving. That's who defines you. One who sought to allow you to understand 
who you are by sending his son Jesus to live, die, and rise again in order that you can have a life like no other that's governed and characterized by his grace. See, what does that mean then? Let's just look at four things. There's so many things that we could look at, but we haven't got time. Romans 8.1 is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who put their trust in Jesus are what? Well, they get this life of grace that's characterized by no condemnation. In other words, that we know that we are forgiven. That whenever we look in the mirror, we get to know that there is nothing that we have done that God doesn't say it's okay. I forgive you. And when God forgives, it's not like us. See, for us, when we forgive, we take time to deal with it. When God forgives, it says that he sees it as far as the east is from the west. It's gone, not remembered. As we turn to say, God, I'm sorry, he said, I forgive you. You don't need to talk about it. You don't need to be characterized by it anymore. It means that we're accepted. There's nothing we need to do to earn more of his acceptance. There's nothing we can do to make him accept us any less. He says, no, no, when I see there's no condemnation, you're accepted. It means that we can live guilt-free. That whatever we've done, whatever has been done to us, we can know that God has cleaned us up and know that we can live guilt-free. But it doesn't stop there. It's also Romans 8, 16, the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are now children of God. It isn't that we come and we say, God, we get this amazing life that we have in you that is all about your grace, your unconditional love and favor towards us. Therefore, we just live on the outside. Isn't God amazing outside? Saying, God is amazing. God is amazing. I'm just going to serve him forever. You're just amazing. God. No, God says, no, come on in. You're in my family now. You're now to be a child of mine. To know that now I'm your father. Now Jesus is your brother. Now the spirit is residing within you because you're part of us. You're not, you've done some sort of trick. No, no, you're just part in. You now belong. You finally belong to a community that has always been. You finally belong to a family that will always be. A child of God. Doesn't end there. Then told Romans 8, 33 to 39, where Paul is just expounding on this amazing fact that Jesus loves us. He says, there is now nothing that can separate us from that love. And then he goes through all these things that we could think could separate us from our love. Persecution, starvation, things not going our way, even death. He says, and the thing is, nothing is going to separate you from God's love in Jesus. That we are now those who are eternally loved. There will never be a day from the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection that God doesn't love you. God, Father, Son, and Spirit's love is always now upon us. It is always now flowing through us. The only reason we may not know that God loves us is when we choose to take ourselves out of it. I'm not sure. I don't think I'm worthy of love anymore. God's saying there, who are you to say you're not worthy of my love? I eternally love you. Nothing's ever going to separate you from my love. And it's a life where we're free to live. Galatians 5.1. That Jesus has set us free. Set us free 
from slavery. Amazing. And in that, we've been set free from slavery. And then Paul writes, and says, so don't go and res- kind of return to it. Don't go and return to the yoke of slavery. Know now that you're free children. I see you're, you're abundantly free. You see, I tend to think of it like this. Jesus has freed us from a cell. It's like a prison cell. Just because I have to conceptually think things through. So what's slavery like? I don't know what slavery is like. I've never been a slave. But I understand that a slave is one who has no freedom. The, the place I know where you get the least amount of freedom is a prison. And a cell where someone is controlling everything about you. You have no freedom in a cell. And slavery, if you like, is a cell where we are one controlled. That's one of the walls. We have no control over our own life. We have no ability to ultimately affect our future. It's one that we're controlled. It's one where we, therefore, are hopeless. Where we can never fully see that there's going to be a future. It's one, therefore, that's governed by fear. Where we find that actually, however much we do, we just wonder, am I ever going to be good enough to get out of this? And then lastly, because of that fear, we always live with restlessness. I've never, ever been at peace. And in broad brushstrokes, that's what Paul was talking about in slavery. It's a place of hopelessness, a place of despair, a place of restlessness, a place of fear. And what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection is he came and kicked open the door. I said, you don't need to dwell in that dingy dungeon anymore. You don't need to live in that cell. Rather, I now take you out into the open and say, live in this space, where you forever know you're eternally loved, where you know that you're forgiven, accepted, and you're guilt-free, where you get to know that you now belong as family, where you get to rest in that knowledge, where you get to know that there is hope. Jesus says, this is where you get to live. However, Paul also says, therefore, don't return there. You see, the door's open. Therefore, any time, though it's true we're free, we can take ourselves back to living in the cell. And therefore, we have to make sure we don't live that way. See, when we look in the mirror, Paul says, do we see ourselves that are defined now by God's grace? As forgiven, accepted, guilt-free, a child of God, eternity, eternally loved, free to live. Because that is the truth. I am what I am by the grace of God. So how do we live this way? How do we ensure that when we look in the mirror, that's what we see? How do we ensure we don't kind of live not looking in that mirror, but go back to the old mirror, governed by past, present, and kind of future? Returning back into the cell of despair, fear, hopelessness, and restlessness. Well, how we do it is we have to signal Verse 10, his grace to me was not without effect. You see, it's amazing to know this. But unless we allow it to have an effect in our lives, we won't ever be changed by it. See, ultimately, when I'm driving my car, I can look in the mirror and think, oh yeah, everything's all right, and I know where I want to go. But unless I start to take action and say, that's the direction I want to go in, I'm never going anywhere. I'm just going to keep going in the same direction. 
At some point, I have to say, God, this is the truth of how you see me now by your grace. Therefore, I'm signaling to say, I'm going to center my whole being around this mirror. That's the deal. And the thing is, when you kind of are sat on a Sunday morning, I don't know, you're sat where you are, I'm sat here, and I'm looking at the, okay, yeah, I can see that, I can see that's the kind of mirror I need to live with. I think it's madness to go back to an old mirror that's saying, oh, no, you're not. You're defined by your past, your past experiences. You're defined by your present circumstances. You're defined by your future achievements. You think, that's madness. Why would you want to stand in front of that mirror? I want to stand in front of that mirror. That mirror looks pretty good to me. And so we think, no, I'm going to center my whole being around this. I'm going to orbit it. I'm going to ensure that this is the mirror and this mirror only that I look in. But the thing is, life happens. And as life happens, we can start to find ourselves not looking in that mirror. We can find ourselves looking back at the old mirror. I think, oh man, if people only knew. Why did I do that? If I got that stuff, then maybe I would actually be a bit more happier. You see, a few months ago, I think it was three months ago, I was in a team meeting with a team that I'm part of outside of Oasis, a team that's fun kind of being part of, just so you know, just because where this story is heading. Everyone in this team is totally cool. We're all fine with each other. So I'm part of this team, and... Um, I turn up, think it's just a normal team meeting. As I get there, the guy who's leading this team says, right, we're changing everything, and how we're going to change it is, Adrian, you're not going to be in this team anymore. I was like, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I said, oh, sorry, <laughs> what, I'm not in this team anymore? He said, yeah, yeah, we're going to restructure, and you're not going to be in the team, and this person's definitely going to be taking more of a lead, so you don't need to come to this anymore. And I'm driving home afterwards. As I'm driving home, I start to think, what on earth is wrong with me? I start to honestly think, what have I done wrong? Why is it I've been dropped from this team? Because there must be a reason, there must be something that's wrong with me. Before I know it, I'm kind of driving into the driveway of my house, and by the time I've got there, I start to think, who do I think I am? And who do I think I am to be involved in any team? Who do I think I am to be involved with Oasis and to be playing a part in there? Who do you think you are, Adrian? I kind of flip between kind of personal and third person. I'm a very weird individual. And I mean, who do you think you are, Adrian? Like everyone knows ultimately who you are. Everyone knows your past. Do you remember all that stuff you did? It's not surprising, to be honest, that you got dropped from this team because when people really get to know the full history, then they get to understand there's no way you should be doing what you're doing. Open the front door, get in, see Lucy. Lucy knows when I walk through the front door because I'm a relatively open individual with my face and I always share my emotions. I've had to learn over time to try and hide it a little bit. So I walk in and she's like, what has happened? <laughs> and so I'm like, to be honest, is I've been dropped, but I just think it's all me. I understand why I've been dropped. Because I fundamentally know, given my past experience, this current reality is the truth of who I am. I don't deserve this. Like, who am I? And Lucy turns to me and says, you know who you are. Go back and remember. So what do I do? What I do is I wallow for a few minutes. 
think, what? Who am I? Then I get to this point, and I suddenly realize I've signaled. I've lived my life in this mirror, and all it took was to be dropped from a team to realize that I signaled to a different mirror. And go back to this old mirror, and in that mirror, I suddenly think people's opinions of me matter most. That's the old person. I suddenly, in that mirror, think, actually, that person's opinion means, actually, who am I? I suddenly realize that I've suddenly placed my security and safety and value in this old mirror of past experience, past experience, current circumstance, and thinking that's therefore going to kind of mold and affect my future achievements. I think this is suddenly where I'm defined. And in that, I think, God, what have I done? You asked me a long time ago to no longer look in that mirror. You gave me a new one to look in, a new one that's governed by your grace. So what do I do? I have to fight with truth. I say, God, what is it? This isn't like mind over matter. It isn't like suddenly, let's get my top 10 things I love about Adrian out. No, it's let's get what the Bible says. So I go back and say, Romans 8 does it for me. I just turn back into Romans 8 and I just start reading it. What is it you say? Oh, you say now I'm guilt-free. I'm free. Accepted forever. You say I'm eternally loved. You say that I'm now your child. Isn't that enough? I get from this point of saying, God, thank you for this truth. I'm talking to him. I'm praying. That's what prayer is, isn't it? Talking to God. It's because it's a relationship. I said, remember, Father, you're the one who defines my being. Not any person. So then I come back and think, Father, it's you. I then get to this point of thinking, oh yeah, Romans 12.1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Man, that means you actively have to do something. You have to renew your mind. You have to change the way you think. All right, I'm no longer looking in the old mirror. I'm now looking in the new mirror. At that point, I think, this mirror is so good. What Does it matter what teams I'm part of? I get this mirror. So good. And it can't help as I look in that mirror to be back and say, God, you're amazing that I get this. Some of you are going to wonder about the end of that story. It doesn't matter. Because the point was this. I needed to stay actively signaling, signaling around the right mirror. And we each have to do that. You actively signal through what I did through that process. I've just modeled it to you. You actively signal through truth. The Bible's there, not as a chore to do, but an opening to understanding who we truly are. If we're not reading it, you're just taking my word for it. That's the craziest thing you can ever do. Read it yourself, because it's at that point you suddenly get hold of the truth of how you're defined, and you think, oh, this causes me to live differently. If you want some help along the way, there's a new resource that we're releasing kind of over social media at the moment. It's through a blog series that we did and updated from the beginning of this year called A Comment Not a Commentary, where it's looking daily, if you want to, you could look at it once a week, at the, the whole book of Ephesians, breaking it down into just a one to potentially three-minute article that you read that gives you something to think about, some questions to ask yourself, and a moment to be transformed by truth. A comment, not a commentary. You can find it through Facebook at oasischurch.com or wherever it is. So truth, prayer, we're caught up in relationship. Isn't that we just kind of lone soldiers think, oh, believe the truth, believe the truth. No, no, you take the truth and you say, God, this is who you've made me. God, I come and I say, would you help me here? 
God, would you help me in my unbelief? God, would you help me where I feel hurt? Would you come and comfort me? God, I repent where I've looked at the old mirror and I turn back to you. We pray. We renew our minds. We say, I'm not going to listen to the old tracks. I've got this brand new scented playlist to listen to and that's where I'm coming to. I'm not going to look at the old mirror. I've got this brand new sparkly mirror that defines like nothing else who I am. Therefore, I look there and I choose to actively say, this is who you say I am. And then it always leads us to worship. I don't see how you can ever get to the point of thinking, God, even in the depths, even in my darkest places, and I know for some of you, you have much darker places than me, but even in the depth of darkness, you know what happens in that place? In the depth of darkness, light shines even brighter. And even in that depth of darkness, what I see is just this amazing truth of who God is. And it allows me to think, wow, even here. But it doesn't end there. We've signaled, looked in the mirror, signals, you have to maneuver. The point is it transforms and changes our lives. Paul writes this, end of verse 10. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Here's what Paul's not saying through this, because there can be a challenge in these verses. He's not saying it's all about mirror gazing. In other words, I don't know, let's, let's make people feel a bit more uncomfortable in that row. So it's just that, and all of you feel uncomfortable now, it's not like, okay, what I'm going to do now for the rest of my life is just sit here. Look at the mirror. See, you were all starting to feel uncomfortable. That was like less than five seconds. The point isn't that we get to the point of saying, man, this is an amazing mirror I have, therefore I'm just going to sit before it. That's not what Paul's saying. He's also not saying, forget the mirror. He's saying, wow, amazing mirror. Get on with the rest of life. Let's work hard at it. Let's work as hard as we can to show how worthy we are of the mirror. Paul says, no, we become carriers of the mirror. We become those who in everything we are, in everything we do, the mirror goes with us. And we find that we, like Paul, can be those who what I call become liberated, active celebrators. Or we're in liberated, active celebration. That's how we then live. See, some of you have heard that word, worked hard, and you're thinking, what does that mean? We're about to see. But to understand what it means, because it's about being active, we have to first understand that we are those that carry this mirror wherever because we're liberated. You see, Paul says, when he says he's worked harder, he says, but not I, the grace of God within me. The point is this. That we carry the mirror around with us to remind ourselves that as with everyone else has put their faith and trust in Jesus, as with everyone else who's then invited to do the same, that we've become trophies of God's grace. That's what you see when you look in the mirror. You see one who's defined by God's grace and has become a trophy of it. Has become one who God loves to parade around and says, oh, this is my child. You knew their past. You knew their current circumstances. But this is how I define them out of my unconditional love and favor become those that are trophies of God's grace in every and any circumstance we find ourselves. i tell you what that liberates us from. It liberates us from competition and comparison. 
It means that we get to be this dangerous bunch of people that are never comparing ourselves to other people. How freeing is that? That I never have to worry about Gus. Like, we all know Gus is better than me, but I don't have to worry about it. Because ultimately, I know he's defined by that. I'm defined by that. It doesn't matter. I don't don't have to worry about what he's got and I haven't got. I haven't got to worry about what gifts he can do and what I can't do. I just have to know, I know he's defined by that and I'm defined by that. I don't have to compare there. I just don't have to be competitive. I don't have to think, Sarah Bowen, man, she's always praying everywhere. How am I going to be matching up to that? And she prays before a Sunday morning. I'm still getting stuff ready. Who am I compared to Sarah Bowen? Who cares? Sarah's got the mirror. I've got the mirror. We're both trophies of God's grace. It liberates us from comparison. It liberates us from competition. I tell you what, in the day and age we live in, that is fundamentally groundbreaking. If you can live your life thinking, I don't need to compare myself to anyone else in this place. I'm not here to compete with everyone. I tell you, in your university campus, in your street, in your workplace, people will think, who are you? Because we're liberated. Liberated to activity. See, what we get to do is we get to live in light of this mirror in every and any circumstance you and I find ourselves in. Every arena of life. We just get to live defined by this. So we can say, man, I'm going to work hard here, not because it brings any value to me, but because I realize, actually, I'm just totally free. I know my value doesn't come from this. I'm just going to use it as a way to just say, this is who I am. Therefore, God, I thank you for it. And I'm just going to do this to the best of my abilities. We're liberated. It means that in the moment of recovery, we think, in this area, my recovery isn't going to define me. This is what defines me. My recovery is an outworking of what defines me. In my moment of darkness, of depression, my depression isn't what defines me. It's in this moment here, I get to cling and say, this is the mirror that defines me. In any and every arena, we get to be active in our possessing of who God says we are. Which then leads us to the last thing. Celebration. This is the best. See, what it means is this, because suddenly you think, really, celebrate? We're kind of British. Adrian, we know you as well. We know that you don't really like being too overboard. You don't even like it when people clap at you. So you're not going to be unreal now, are you? No, I'm not going to be unreal. This is what celebration is all about. This is what it looks like to love God. The first thing is this. As we carry the mirror around, we enjoy it. We enjoy a life that is defined by God's grace. That's fundamental starting point. That's how we celebrate in who God is. That's how we seek to marvel at who God is. So we just celebrate in who he's called us to be and live in light of it, inhabiting these things. It then causes us to live a life of celebration because when we fully appreciate this, you can't help but sharing it with others. You can't help but with wherever you go, taking the mirror. So I'm down the co-op. I've got my mirror. Because <laughs> I can't help but show what I know to other people. 
I'm hanging out with people I know a bit better. So the people at co-op I know to a level. They kind of know me. We talk about films, talk about shopping. We talk about um, life a bit, just so I'm a quite a talkative person. Lucy says I'm a slightly over-exposing, sharing person, but I type to think inclusive. Um, <laughs> so that, then there's the people I know a bit better. The people I know a bit better, I just want to tell them, if they don't know who Jesus is, I want them to know this life. I don't spend all their time saying, you're looking in the wrong mirror. You're rubbish, you are. No, I say, do you know what defines me is this stuff? So a friend of mine starts a journey. I've told this story before, but it still blows my mind that the journey starts for him, of him just saying, Adrian, you're the least religious person I know. How come? He's an unbeliever, doesn't really like religion at all. We get to then talk about how I'm not that religious because I was never that good. And I realized that God loves me unconditionally. And that's the starting point that transforms my life. And so he loves talking about that. That's what we talk about. A God who defines us by this mirror. I post something on Facebook that I read. Uh, just because I realized it's a way of just communicating with lots of different people. And it's this thing of just who Jesus is. And it's this comic tale of, um, you might have read it, I thought it was quite funny. So it's of a mom who buys her son a band that says, what would Jesus do? And then in alarm, she finds out that her son is buying drinks for people who are already drunk, is hanging out with prostitutes, is, goes to the local church building and finds they're selling books at the back and so kicks over the bookcase and throws the till out of the window and then fashions a whip and chases the vicar out of the church. <laughs> and it says then the mum decided that she'd give him a different armband. And so she gave him what would a Pharisee do. <laughs> and now he's behaving a lot more better. But in it, as I read that, I thought, do you know what? Most of my friends think that following Jesus is the exact opposite of who Jesus is. And so what I did is I posted and I said, this is worth a read. A number of my unbelievers click in and start liking it. Saying, all right, that's what it is. Because Jesus was one who went to places and offered grace, offered unconditional love where people least expected it. And we therefore get to do the same. We get to be those who just carry the mirror and say, this is who Jesus is. This is who God, Father, Son, and Spirit is. Would you like to meet him? I'll tell you what, it's attractive. So we mirror, we signal, and then we maneuver. How are we doing then? So we say with the love tracks, with each of the tracks, as we get to loving God, we just say, well then, Let's get the controls in and say, how are we doing? Let's pause for a moment, scale of one to five. One being poor, five being yes on top of the world. How are we doing with this reality? Are we living with this mirror? Or have we found ourselves around the old one? And if we're living with this one, how much is it defining us? One to five. Everyone's singing three, 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 three. That's the problem with one to five. I did think about, do you know, one to four to make everyone like, I don't know. But one to five has got grace in it. Pause. Center. What action do I need to take? What do I need to do and not do? For some of us, it's that we need to stop looking at that old mirror. And to be honest, what we need to do is just kick it. Obviously, metaphorically speaking. And just smash it in. Say, I'm not going to look at that anymore. It's broken. It is broken. It's warped. 
It's not who you are. Saying, I'm going to actively seek to signal to live in this place. Continue, what accountability, encouragement do we need to live this way? Let's just take a moment. If we can ask us just to close our eyes as a way of not getting distracted by other people and just consciously pause, say, okay, where am I at? One to five. What do I need to do? Center. Continue, who do I need around me to help me do this? going to pray for us but before I do just whatever the answer was to the last one in terms of who do we need around us to support us only you can make that first step to get them around that means all of us have to have boldness to say would you help I know who the people are for me I can't make them for you it might be a small group. It might be a group of friends that you've got. It might be someone you just know, you just live life together, and you just need to make it a bit more purposeful. But can I encourage you to do that? I just want to pray for Jesus. I thank you that being those that are now enveloped, partakers, participators in your love, defines everything about who we are. I thank you that it causes us to live with a mirror that is redefining that causes us to know that we are continuously get our value, our security in and through you. And I pray, God, would you cause us to live as followers of you more and more in light of that. I pray for those of us who are here just still trying to suss this whole thing out. I pray would you cause us to know the invitation is there for us, to know that we could look at ourselves in a fundamentally different way because of how you see us. And I pray, God, that would then cause all of us to then live differently. I pray for those of us who know you defining us. I pray would we be those that continuously live carrying the mirror wherever we go, seeking to share who you are with everyone and living lives that celebrate it. Amen.